Welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38, a familiar passage of Scripture for us when we think about the Christmas story. What we're talking about this morning is calling. What am I here for? Why was I created? What am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to be? Calling. We talk about being chosen, and we get this idea by looking at Mary, the Virgin Mary, that she was chosen among all women in Israel, and she was chosen and giving a specific calling or mission to do something that would change the world forever. And you might think, well, I'm not special like the Virgin Mary. I couldn't be called like that. But calling is for every follower of Jesus. Calling is an invitation to the unique mission that God has given you and only you for the life that He has put you in. It has to do with everything you are spiritually, your gifts, your passions, your personality, your experience, your intelligence, your ability, your wisdom. All you are brought to bear to live the life that God has for you. Calling uses who you are, where you're at, through Christ in you, to make God's kingdom a reality today. What a joy when we think about it that way, right? What a privilege that the God of the entire universe calls each and every one of us to Himself in salvation, but to be used for Him to bring glory, to participate with our Savior, Jesus. That brings us to our Scripture memory verse of the month, and that Scripture memory verse of the month is from Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and let's say that together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. Let's pray together. God, our Father, when we think of who Jesus is, who you created him to be, the one and only sinless Savior to redeem all humanity, every person from every tribe or tongue that would call on His name and confess Him as Savior and Lord to have eternal life. We're so humbled by that. But God, to know that it's not just salvation that we could be saved to abundant life here on earth, and eternal life in heaven forever, it's humbling all over again. So God, as we come before you today, and we open your word, it's our prayer that we would be engaged and encouraged of who you've called us and created us to be, that we are the only one of us there is. And you have a unique role for us in this life to serve you and to serve others. No matter who we are, no matter where we're from, no matter what the world might think of us and sometimes we think of ourselves, may we be encouraged today. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
We've got our scripture passage for today, and that is Luke chapter 1. And Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And if you are able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word, would you stand together with me as we read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and following. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to marry to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Thank you. You may be seated. May God add to the reading of His Word. The first thing for us to consider today is that God created each of us uniquely. You are unique. As you've heard me say before, and you heard me say just about two minutes ago, you are the only you there is. There's no one else who is you. No one else who is like you. When we consider this passage of Scripture, you get the introductory verse 26 in the sixth month. The sixth month of, well, let's see. God sent his son Gabriel, or sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth to Galilee to a virgin pledged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Mary. In verse 28, then, the angel gives this familiar greeting to Mary. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was highly favored, specially or divinely graced. That next phrase, however, doesn't explain why. The Lord is with you, that His dynamic presence of God was with her. But it still didn't explain why she was highly favored, or why she was set apart. But there had to have been some things about Mary's life that made her unique. Her experience... And her character, her desire to serve God, the ability to have faith that was within her, so that amidst everything that was to happen in the nine months to come and the decades to follow with Jesus as her son, she was uniquely prepared. Now, you are unique. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but there is a website, howmanyofme.com. Now, some of you are already getting out your phone, howmanyofme.com, literally howmanyofme.com that works from Social Security records. And so if you go there and you put in your name, Al McCracken, for instance, leading us in worship today, Brother Al, I didn't do Brother Al, but I, of course, did me, right? And 
On HowManyOfMe.com, it says from the Social Security records that there are 40,856 errands in the United States. All right. But there are only 4,966 householders in the United States. I mean, you guys knew I was a little different, but did you know there's only 4,966 householders? The name Paul, which is my given legal first name, I go by my middle name, don't do that to your children. There's 1.5 million Pauls in the United States, there are 1.1 million. And when it comes to Paul Householder, 24 Paul Householders. Aaron Householder, however, only six Aaron Householders, so I'm more unique when I'm Aaron, right? My wife Melanie, very unique. There are 193,000 Melanies in the United States, but only three Melanie householders, and she's the only one that's married to me. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Mary. Mary Elizabeth, my daughter, 4.3 million Marys in the United States. One of the most popular uh, names for a lady you might know, but there are 66 Mary householders. Who would have guessed that? But my boys, John, Mark, and Seth, They are the one and only John Mark and Seth Householder in the entire United States, and I might gather the world. (laughs) You can go Google yourself, or not Google yourself, howmanyofme.com and see how many of you there are and how many of your surname, how many of of your first name, how many of your middle name, how many when you put them together, and you might be entertained like I was finding that out. But we come back to our question for this first point, and that is how am I the one and only? Or how am I a one and only? What is it about you that makes you unique? You think about even within your household or even within your family. Well, I'm the only dad in my household. I'm the only guy that's, you know, old in my household. I'm the only one that's gifted this way, that does this, that knows this and those sort of things. But you think about broader than that, your family, your friends. What is it about your personality? What is it about your experience? You don't have to go too far to see that you are unique. Even though you may work at a job where there are four people that have your job at your location, you're the only one that's just like you, right? And even though there might be 4.3 million people who have your name, Mary, you're the only one that's just like you, right? God created you uniquely. And He created you uniquely, not just so you could say, I'm unique and I'm the only one, but so you could do things for Him that no one else can do. Eric Ries in Shape, Finding and Fulfilling Your Unique Purpose for Life, says, you were not created to conform. You were not created to compare. You were not created to compete. You were not created to compromise. You were created to contribute to God's kingdom and make a significant difference with your life. You were created just to be you. God made you as you are, and He knows all your sinfulness and weakness and failures, but He loves you still and He fills you with His Spirit so that you might serve Him as the one and only you. If you needed a Christmas gift this morning, that's it, right? But it gets better. It gets better. You're uniquely created. Let's move to our second point on our outline. Our second point is that God gives us a role in sharing Jesus with others. God gives us a role in sharing Jesus with others. We see that in verses 29 through 33. Mary was greatly troubled at what kind of words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Well, yeah, you would too. Angel shows up and speaks to you. You may have had the experience in your life where you said, is this person an angel? Because this is just, whoa. 
Verse 30, But the angel said to her, What angels always say to people, because they were fearful when you saw them, do not be afraid. But then he added something specific to her, Mary, you found favor with God. Favor with God. You will be with child, verse 31, and give birth to a child or son and give him the name Jesus. The angel begins to unfold for Mary her very unique role in God's kingdom. In verse 32 then, he says he's going to be great, the son of the Most High, and he's going to have the throne of David, and he's going to reign forever, this prophecy of the never-ending kingdom of David that was coming to fruition in Jesus. So the angel says, Mary, you've got a highly unique role, and you're favored, and God has a plan for you. And as you and I aren't the Virgin Mary, we've already established that you're the only one and only you there is. I'm the only one and only me there is. But all of us have a unique role. And Mary is just our type, our model from this passage of Scripture, which leads to the question, who is God reaching through me? Because if God is giving us a role in sharing Jesus with others, what is our role? And more specifically, who is he reaching through me? You've heard that phrase before. It's a cliche, but it's true. You might be the only Bible some Christians ever read. You saw the video earlier of our missionary, Dr. Derbyshire in Thailand. He said that these people don't know about God and they don't know anyone who knows about God, the God of the Bible. They have thousands, if not millions, of gods that they worship trying to pay for their sins. But... They don't know Jesus. You and I have people in our lives that they may say that they're a Christian. They may have even grown up in a church, one like ours or one of a different denomination. It doesn't matter. But they don't have a personal saving relationship with Jesus that gives them abundant life and assurance here on earth and guarantees them eternal life in heaven. And you have a unique role as possibly the only believer in Jesus they know to share the gospel with them and to lead them to consider Christ Jesus as God's one and only Son. So who is it that God is reaching through you? Tim Chester and Steve Timmis challenge us that Western culture has become very compartmentalized. We divide our lives into work, leisure, family, church, missions, or outreach time. And we want to spend more time in evangelism, but we just can't find the time because we're too busy evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus. But here's the answer. If you're the only you there is, and God has created you to serve Him, to go on a mission trip and this, share the gospel with others, evangelism shouldn't be a compartment in your life that I'm going to go on a mission trip in this week. The mission trip is your life. Your life is your mission. Who you know how you live, what you say day in and day out. Rethinking evangelism as a relationship rather than an event changes this. Evangelism isn't an activity to squeeze into our schedule. It should be part of who we are. It should be all we do is evangelism. There's easy ways we can share the gospel by who we are. 
Bob Roberts, who was the one who said to me on January 9th, 1992, you ought to be a missionary and change the course of my life forever. He's a pastor in Keller, Texas. Bob writes 11 simple ways to share the gospel in your life. He says, first, walk your dog. Uh, Walk when your neighbors are outside. Strike up conversations. If you don't have a dog to walk, walk yourself. Most of us can use it. You know, those nicer days when people are outside and stop and visit. Just be friendly. I have so many neighbors, I call them hey neighbors because I know they live in that house, but I haven't got to know their name yet. So I'm just like, hey neighbor. There needs to be a point in time when I stop saying hey neighbor when I see them and they're in their garage or something and I strike up a conversation and see if they kind of come to the edge of their garage like they want to talk to me. And I can find out their name and find out about them and begin a relationship with them as simple as saying hello because they live down the street from me. Another thing that Dr. Robert says is fix broken things. Jesus saw brokenness in the physical world as a symbolic of spiritual brokenness, and you can too. You can pick up the trash. You can help a neighbor with home improvement. You can clean the park, do simple projects like that. When you fix broken things, you're symbolically showing God's healing through Jesus. Bob Roberts says, build short fences. Tall fences don't make good neighbors. They distance and privatize you. Remove fences between you and your neighbors. If you must build them low, and I don't think he's talking about physical fences. He's talking about the barriers in our life. The fourth thing he says is try a new hobby. You might not be excited about video games or you know model cars or something like that, but there is something that you might try in order to get an inroads with somebody else to have a means to develop relationships, to share the gospel. Of the people I ride bicycles with on Saturday mornings, not a one of them that I know is saved as we understand it. And so, as we pedal along the miles, sooner or later we talk about things like that. And I get to share the gospel with those guys that I ride with. What about you? Display imperfection is the fifth thing we might do. Everybody knows you're not perfect. Stop trying to act like it. Be humble. Be transparent when it's appropriate. Pray before conversations. You know, when you're going to meet somebody that makes you tense and you've had conflict before, you always pray before you meet that person. At least I hope you do. But what about people that you know are open to sharing the gospel or people you're trying to develop a friendship with? Pray before that conversation. Another thing you might do if you go out Something different about you. Ask good questions. Man, if there's one thing we could do, it'd be ask better questions. Pastor David is an amazing asker of questions. I love hanging out with Pastor David because he asks these questions. I'm like, hmm, that's such a good question. I never thought about it before. Ask people what they think about God. Seriously. Ask them what they think about God or ask them if God were could do a miracle in their life, what would it be? What miracle do they need? It opens a a way to talk to them on things that is not as threatening. Talk to people. Watch their reactions. Pay attention, even those small nonverbal things. God has called us to live a life on mission, to share Jesus with others. Who are we reaching? Who May we be the only Bible they read, the only Christian they know. So we're uniquely created for a role in God's kingdom to share the gospel. The third point on our outline this morning is that God accomplishes His will by His power. God accomplishes His will by His power. Now, 
Most of us bow up or fold our arms or get a little worried when the pastor talks about sharing the gospel with people in our lives because we think, I can't do that. I can't talk like that. I don't know all the answers and all of our other excuses, right? Right. But look at verse 34. Mary, I don't think, is asking this as an excuse. How will this be since I'm a virgin? She's just stating a reality. Um, Excuse me, Mr. Angel. There's something that needs to happen in order for a baby to be born that hadn't happened with me yet. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy One will come upon you. Power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One will be called the Son of God. And to give her a sign, Elizabeth, who apparently she didn't know yet. I mean, there's no cell phones, there's no phones at all, no carrier pigeons and letters back in the day. Elizabeth, your cousin, who's much older and past the age of childbearing, is in her sixth month. Mary, God can do this, is what he's saying. And then just to make sure, he says, verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. For no word from God will ever fail. If God says it, he's going to do it. God has uniquely created you, uniquely called you, And He has empowered you by the Holy Spirit. And He can work and do in and through you things you cannot imagine. It is not what you can do. It is what God will do. Can I get an amen? God's going to do it for you. So my question for us here is, what am I worried about? What is it you're worried about? God says He's going to do these things through me. God says He's going to do these things through you. We fret and we worry. We fold our hands and put our hands and sit on our... And we make all kinds of excuses. But God says He's going to do it. So why are we worried about it? God desires to do things in and through us that we won't imagine in order to bring glory to himself. Think about what Philippians 4 says in verse 6 and 7. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Some of us need to write Philippians 4, 6 on the inside of one eyelid and Philippians 4, 7 on the inside of the other eyelid so we can go like this in life and be reminded not to worry, not to fret, that God empowers us, that God will take care of us, that He will do what only He can do and we're not intended to do. Dr. Tony Evans says the level of your worry reflects the size of your faith. Ouch. The level of your worry reflects the size of your faith. Disbelief is the midwife of worry. We need to consciously ask God to show us where our disbelief is, to show us where our worry is, to show us where we're challenged in our faith in order that God might accomplish His will through us because we can't and we were never intended to. Why? So He grows great in us, so we're more willing to give Him glory, give Him more faith as we experience Him at work in us. He's uniquely created us for a role in His kingdom. 
in which he works his will through us. And the fourth point on your outline today is that we exercise our faith in obedience to God. Verse 37, the angel had said, for nothing is impossible with God. But verse 38, how does Mary respond? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I use an older version of the NIV. It's now called NIV 84. And for whatever reason, maybe because I know it, I like it. But look at what it says there on our screen. I am the Lord's servant. Same thing there. It's literally, she's saying servant girl, uh, like a slave girl in the Greek. And then it says, may your word be fulfilled. May it be to me as you have said. May your word be fulfilled. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says that God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Calling is an invitation to the unique mission that God has given me in His kingdom. Calling engages all that I am my spiritual gifts, my passions, my personality, my experience. Which leads us to our fourth and final question. How do I respond to God's call? How is it that I respond to God's call? If I know that I'm unique, if I know that He's given me a role in His kingdom to share the gospel, if I know that He's the one working through me, I shouldn't have any reason for fear. I shouldn't have any reason for doubt. So how is it that I respond? Now when I talk about calling, I'm not talking about a one and done event here. Keep that in mind. I'm not talking about the God called me to a mission trip or God called me to be a missionary. You saw it beautifully portrayed on the video we saw today about Dr. Derbyshire. He said, it all happened for me in one moment when a missionary said, about needing medical missionaries. And it was then Dr. Derbyshire said, I knew I needed to be a medical missionary to share the gospel with those who might not ever hear. It might not be a lightning bolt for you. And it might not be that you're called to be a pastor or a missionary or serve in vocational Christian ministry some way. You can be called to be a stay-at-home mom. You can be called to be a teacher You can be called to be an accountant. You can be called to be anything. Because God created you to be those things where you're at. I'm talking about a calling that defines who you are. That you say yes once, but you continue to say yes because it's an ongoing relationship with God by the Holy Spirit as you read the Bible and as you pray and as you grow in Christ Jesus day in, day out through your life. Calling is not unlike a river that flows through the landscape and over time and it changes and adapts as it goes, but it's still you. It's still the same river even as it bends and shapes. Your calling is God at work in you, uniquely creating you and empowering you to do His will, to share Jesus with all those you meet and to build His kingdom 
through His work in you. By faith, would you respond? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the fact that you have called us unto yourself. And that you've created each and every one of us unique. I know sometimes in our humanness we look around and we wish we were a little bit different, more like this person or that person. But God, you've made each and every one of us the only one there is for a purpose, for a reason. So we come before you as your people and pray that we might be encouraged by this message today and that we might surrender anew in faith to you just as Mary said, may it be to me as you have said, that you would fulfill your work in us as you've called us to be in relationship with you and a witness for you. So God, our Father, as we come to this time of invitation and as we observe the Lord's Supper today, even during this next song, we pray that our hearts would be surrendered to you. That as believers in Jesus, if there's anything we need to confess before you, we would do that at this very moment that we would be wholehearted in our repentance and turning from that sin. That we might be fully committed in our worship of you as we observe this Lord's Supper today. And God, if there's anyone here who's not yet a believer in Jesus, or anyone hearing my voice through podcast or live stream or video later, that they too would submit themselves and trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord right now. So God, we thank you. We come before you with thanksgiving as we worship you by this Lord's Supper. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.